Well, we're going to go ahead and continue on in the book of Acts. We are now chapter 5, verses 17 through 42 is what we're going to go through today. And uh, how many know that as we've been studying, the early church is off to a pretty amazing start? It's kind of kicked off with a big bang. We got signs and wonders and miracles and religious people getting ticked off. I mean, it's, it's been a good time so far. And last week, we ended with multi, like a multitude of people getting saved every single day. Many people are genuinely seeking the Lord. They're going to hear the apostles preach, and they're getting saved. And we're seeing the, the gospel being ministered and miracles happening and lives being changed. God's moving powerfully. People are getting healed. And this was in spite of Peter and John being told that they couldn't preach. You know, they got arrested the first time. I mean, we're going to, I mean, Peter's always getting arrested. I don't know if you noticed that, but he's getting arrested left and right. But, but he, was, he was arrested, him and John, and, they, and they're told, listen, you can't speak in this name. They won't even say the name of Jesus. Can't speak in this name. And despite that, there's still a revival going on. They couldn't shut it down. And you'll remember that when they were told, you can't speak in this name, he said, listen, you guys are going to have to decide for yourself, speaking to the religious leaders. You're going to have to decide for yourself if it's better for us to listen to God or to listen to men. And we know they chose to listen to God. So they just kept going out and preaching and making it different. And as a result, the religious leaders are about to turn it up a notch. It's starting to get a little bit heated because they're upset that the apostles are not listening to them. They're upset that that, that uh, the Christian movement is so popular because the people love the apostles. The, the people love the, the, these men, and they're, they're responding to the message. And the religious leaders are, are upset at this. They hate that it's happening. But as a result, we get to see one of the cooler miracles in the Bible happen today. Actually, all the prison breaks are pretty cool. We get to see one of them today. So let's go ahead and get started. Acts five seventeen through 18. It says, but the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. You know, when I read this, I, I, I'm looking at this stuff and, and especially when you look at the Bible on hindsight, it's easy to do this. But I'm like so amazed that these religious leaders are so opposed to Jesus I mean, he's not some offhand figure of some other religion. He is their Messiah. He is their Savior. And he was sent to them first. Romans 1.16 says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. How many know that the gospel is intended for all people, but it came through the Jews? And when it came, it came first to the Jews. They had the first opportunity. So it amazes me that they just missed it by so much. And instead of rejoicing, how many of they should have been rejoicing? They should have been pointing all the people towards Jesus. I mean, this should have been one of the most joyous times in the history of the world. But instead, they're upset at what's going on. And then we see it's the Sadducees who are specifically mentioned here. So I imagine their biases, you remember they don't believe in the resurrection, they don't believe in angels, they don't believe in all that stuff. Their biases um, 
leads to even greater rejection of Jesus Christ. So instead of rejoicing, they're rejecting Jesus. And I look at this and I'm like, are you guys crazy? It's so obvious to me. I mean, I have several thousand years of people pointing it out to me, so it's obvious to me, right? The same scripture that the apostles had, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, they should have been better educated in it, right? Because we know the apostles, none of them are educated men. They're all fishers. The fishermen or tax collectors, I mean, they, none of them are educated men. Matter of fact, it's, it's pointed out all the time that everyone's in awe of their ability to minister the word because they're uneducated. So the Sadducees and the other religious leaders, they should have known better. They had the scripture. They knew it well. They should have been better educated. It amazes me. How did you miss it? But, every, but on the other hand, every time, that this amazement fills me. I remember that there are people today, both Jews and, Greek, and, and Gentiles, who examine the same evidence that I do and inexplicably come to a different conclusion. They come to a different conclusion. I mean, I don't know how you look at the evidence and you don't come to the conclusion that Jesus is the light of the world, the perfect Lamb of God who lived and subsequently died for our sins, and then he rose again, restoring us to newness of life. And not only that, that it's the only path to salvation. I don't know how you look at the Scripture and come to a different conclusion. I don't know how you look at the evidence for God and come to a different conclusion that Jesus isn't the only way. And, and uh, we don't have time to go in, into that today. But if you examine the evidence from the historical evidence, from the eyewitness evidence, from, uh, from who Jesus said he was, from his resurrection, giving evidence that what he said was true, like I don't know how you come to any other conclusion that Jesus is the only way. And salvation is found in no one but him. To me, the evidence is clear and overwhelming. But instead of them looking at the scriptures and responding to the gospel message, which pointed directly to their Messiah, the Sadducees instead were filled with jealousy. They were filled with jealousy at the success of the early church. And I think we can look and, and try to make some guesses and, and understanding of, of, and actually you don't have to guess that hard. It makes it pretty clear later. But they, they're upset because they weren't the center of attention anymore. They're filled with jealousy. So they're, they're, they're jealous of, of what is happening in the Christian church. They're jealous of the, of the favor and the honor and respect that the apostles are getting. You know, they, they weren't the center of attention anymore. And already it's pretty amazing that Peter and John are commanding more respect than they ever had. And on top of that, they're out there uh, doing miracles, showing that God's working with them. Um, miracles of, of, of what's happening within the early church it's not like it was a common thing that happened all throughout the Old Testament. There are some miracles in the Old Testament, but they're not common like they are uh, in the early church. And truthfully, they're not common like I believe they should be today. So they're, they're not operating in power. They don't have the respect. And the truth is, is that they lose a lot of their power that they do have. Any power they do have, any influence they do have, kind of begins to deteriorate if Christianity rises and everyone is pointed to Jesus. Because how many of you know that we have no need of priests anymore? Because each and every one of you are priests. 
Did you know that? That's what the scripture says. First Peter 2, 4 through 5, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Christ. You are a royal priesthood. 1 Peter 2, 9, but you are a chosen, chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and do his marvelous light. Peter reiterates, you are a royal priesthood. Revelation 1, 5 through 6, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his, by his blood and made us a kingdom and made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father. To him be glorified and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We don't need priests anymore because each and all, every one of us, through Jesus Christ, can operate in a royal priesthood. And what that means is we don't have to go through somebody else to, to, to see the Father. We have direct access to the Father because of what Jesus Christ did. And then Galatians 3, 24 through 25 says, So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. We have direct access. We're not going through somebody else. And you've got to imagine, this is really threatening to the, to the high priests that are, that are operating in the Jewish temples. Right? They're, they're starting to see that, that these people are speaking directly to God. God's moving back and forth, speaking to and working through just regular people. So as a result of the disciples teaching this truth, they're quickly arrested and thrown into prison again. You know, once again, I mentioned the last time we talked about them being in prison, but I'm so grateful that in this country we're able to, to still speak freely, at least as of now. So grateful for that. Because if that ever goes away, this is what happens. You speak out about the Lord, point to him, and, and somebody gets offended, somebody gets upset, they don't like what you're saying, straight to jail. As we get to verses 19 through 20, one of the coolest miracles, we get to see a prison break. Acts 5, 19 through 20 says, But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. How I many you know this is one of three prison breaks recorded in the book of Acts? Um, Peter is actually the recipient of two prison breaks. He, got, he was thrown in prison the first time, then they got him out the next, uh, he was let out by the temple guards the next morning and sat on that, that first little temporary uh, hearing, and they were told not to speak of Jesus, so they go and do it anyway. Now they're back in jail again, and, and this is the uh, first prison break, and we're going to find out in um, uh, chapter 12, which is, I guess, maybe 12 weeks away, um, thereabouts, we are going to read about his second prison break, where they put him in jail, and... and uh, he, he, gets, he gets freed by an angel, and he shows up to, to the disciple, one of the disciples' homes. He knocks on the door, and, and the little girl, she's so excited that he's there. She's so joyful, she doesn't even open the door. She just runs away to tell people, leaves him standing out in the cold. Or maybe the warm, I don't know. It doesn't say what, what, what the weather was like. And the third is when Paul and Silas are in prison, right? So they're in prison. They start worshiping God. An earthquake happens. The earthquake shakes the doors open. But this is like, like 
the worst prison break ever because they're broken out, but they don't leave. <laughs> they just stay there. <laughs> yeah, uh, but, but the cool thing about that one is they don't leave, and then the jailer and his entire family get saved. You see. Now, in this prison break, we don't get a whole lot of detail of how it happens. Could have been a supernatural transportation by God. I don't know. So, Wayne, that's crazy. That stuff doesn't happen. Well, tell Philip that. He got transported <laughs> to, a, uh, to a different city once. Or maybe uh, the angel just blinded the eyes of the guards, and they just walked right on through. Maybe he put them to sleep. I don't know. It doesn't say. This is all we got. During the night, the Lord opened the door and brought them out. As they exit, though, they're given a command. How I many you know they, 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 they weren't just let out because God felt sorry for them? They were let out because they had a mission. They had something to do. So God opens the doors, the angel gets out, and he gives them a command. Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. You see, they're, continue, they're encouraged to continue on despite the opposition. They're con- encouraged to continue on despite the danger, despite how, how horrible it could be for them. They're told to keep moving on. Listen, I've let you out for a reason, a purpose. You got something to do. Don't go home. Don't go get some rest. You head to the temple, first light, and begin preaching. So in verse 21, it says, when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. And now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. So you got to imagine They get commanded to go to the temple and preach. But at daybreak, the temple is going to be a busy place, right? The many people would be coming to to pray and worship at sunrise. They're heading to the temple right in the morning. And uh, it's going to be a busy, bustling place. And Peter and John are right there waiting for him to begin preaching the gospel to him. And this is despite the opposition that they had to know that they would ultimately face. They still moved forward without hesitation. How many of us, when we, we see that something might be tough or it might be hard, we, we back away when God's telling us to do something? Now, I don't, I don't think God wants you to do stupid stuff for the sake of doing stupid stuff, right? But if God's telling you to do something, you should probably go do it regardless of the opposition. Amen? And, and, and you have to imagine... They, this is their, their second time in prison for preaching the gospel, and they're heading back to where the, pre, the people that just arrested them were, right? They had to know they would be looking for them when they got to the jail and realized they weren't there. So even though they escaped prison unscathed, they had to be wondering what is going to happen when they show back up again. And they weren't even hiding, right? They're out there in the middle of the temple preaching. They went right back to where they were in broad daylight, speaking the same message to the same crowd. And ultimately, you got to imagine this is going to be making a commotion. How many know you can't have a giant uh, 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 session of preaching and miracles happening and people don't take notice of what's going on? It's not like they're preaching in secret in some dark corner of the temple. 
But they were obedient, and they got started immediately, teaching the words of life. So then, as they're out there preaching, the high priest shows up with his entourage for the day, and they call together the council. It says that all the senate of the people of Israel will find out later that this isn't just the Sadducees anymore. Now we're going to have Pharisees involved in this as well. This is a big group of people coming together to essentially have their trial of, of Peter and John. Um, so once they all get together, they send to have Peter and John brought to them because they got to go through their ordeal, their trial. But the officers show up, and lo and behold, they're not in there. And, and it's, it's amazing to me because it says that we found the prison securely locked and the guard standing in front of the doors. But a second ago, it says that the angel opened the doors and let them out. So that had been something supernatural going on there because the guards were there the whole time. They, they, they were standing guard. There's no one at the doors. It was still locked up. God supernaturally rescues them from prison. So they show back up and... Uh, they begin to report to the officials, and, and they got the shock of their life. So, uh, boss, we went there, and uh, they're, they're not there. Somebody let them out? No, 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 the doors are locked. What about the guards? Did they fall? No, the guards were still standing there. They, they were watching it the whole time. I mean, they had to understand this was a miracle that happened, right? This wasn't, this wasn't like somebody snuck in, knocked the guards on the head, picked the lock, and let them out. Like, this is a supernatural miracle that just happened. There was no way that Peter and John could have got out on their own power. So the miracle of their escape is actually proof that God is in it. You know, these people have to start wondering at some point, like, man, God's working through them doing miracles. God's using using his supernatural power to break them out of prison. I wonder if God's in this. Like, you would think they would start asking these questions. But as we continue on in verse 24 through 26, it says, Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. And then the captain with, went with the officers and brought them, not, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. So the the captain of the temple and the chief priests, they get the report, the report and, and now they're pretty confused, right? Because they have no idea how they got out. And they, they wonder about what happens. But what I find interesting is that not only do they wonder about what happens, it says they wonder what this would come to. They wonder not only about what happened, but what this would mean for them. You see, once again, these two men whom the religious leaders wanted nothing more than to shut up, are now involved in another notable miracle. And as they're pondering this, wondering what's going on, they get a little bit more shocking news. Turns out the prisoners they were looking for, they're already here. They're actually in the other room preaching. I don't know how you didn't know about it. It's supposed to be your temple. But they're in the other room preaching. You guys know I'm kidding, right? It's a big place. <laughs> so the temple, temple captain, he grabs some officers. He heads out to where they're preaching. He's going to arrest them. And uh, he needs to bring them to the, to the high priest and the council. But he's got one tiny problem. Turns out everybody loves Peter and John. So they can't just show up 
you know, throw them to the ground, throw them in shackles and drag them to, to, the, to the religious leaders because they're afraid that the people would stone them. If they tried to take them by force, the people would likely revolt because these people understand that Peter and John are working in the name of God. God is working through them. They're seeing these things. So they had to ask them to come nonviolently. <laughs> I, I wonder what this looked like. Like, I mean, were they, were they groveling? Were they pretty, pretty pleased? Could you come with us? I don't know. It doesn't say. Do you guys not think about the Bible this way? Do you think about what's happening, what's going on? No? I, sometimes I wonder how this stuff, because we don't have a lot of detail in a lot of this stuff. I wonder what it looked like. Notice something, though. As we've been reading this story, you'll notice that Luke is not really painting these Sadducees in the best light. He's almost making a mockery of them. He doesn't refer to them like even something is, is, is somewhat positive, saying they're religious zealots. He just said they're a bunch of jealous fools. He makes them look a little dopey as they can't figure out what happened. Hmm, how'd they get out of that jail cell? This is weird. Wonder what this could mean. Luke was making them out to be foolish. But the thing is, this is the case of everyone who lets pride or their bias keep them from acknowledging the overwhelming evidence of the truthfulness and trustworthiness of God. Willfully ignoring the truth puts you in a position of being a fool. But the problem is, if you don't wise up to this one, if you don't finally get it, you don't just look silly in front of your peers. It has internal consequences. Amen? In the verses 27 through 28, it says, When they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. So I can only conclude that the officers did say pretty please, um, because Peter and John end up coming with them. And they didn't get stoned, so they must not have been too forceful in it. And now they're presented before the council. And immediately the high priest begins questioning Peter and John, saying, didn't we tell you not to preach in this name? You notice that the, the high priest once again refuses to say Jesus' name. As if, as if that they were to say it, it would give it more power. I got news for them. They don't have to say it for the name of Jesus to have power. Amen? It is inherent in his name already. And there's nothing they can say or not say that is going to stop God from doing what he wants to do. Amen? And then the high priest reminds them, like, weren't you guys commanded? I mean, it says, listen, we didn't just charge you. We strictly charged you to not teach in the name of Jesus. And he says, not only are you, are you out there still teaching in his name, but now you're trying to bring his blood upon us, which I find humorous. Because my children, when they were young, particularly my girls, they, they would get in trouble. They would do something to get in trouble, and I would send them to the room. they get grounded. 
And then I'd walk in there in a little while later and I'd look at them and they're super angry at me. And I would say, why are you so mad at me? And they say, because you got me in trouble. <laughs> and I would say, all right, well, what, what happened that you got in trouble? And they would tell me what they did and I'd go, did I do that or did you do that? And they would go, I did. And I would say, well, then who got you in trouble, me or you? Me. And it's funny because after a little while of this, I'd go in, are you mad at me? And they would just go, no. <laughs> they wouldn't even talk with me anymore. <laughs> That's basically what's happening here. The questions I would have for the high priest are this. When they come up to Peter and John and say, listen, why are you trying to bring this man's blood upon our head? I would ask him this. Who killed Jesus? Was it Peter and John or was it them? And they would have to go, it was us. So if it was you that did it, how is it that Peter and John are bringing Jesus' blood upon them? Peter and John aren't doing it. It's the actions that they took that already put his blood upon them. Peter and John aren't spreading lies. They're not making stuff up. They're not spreading rumors, trying to people to look unfavorably at the high priest. They're just telling it like it is. This is what happened. And the truth of what happened is what's causing the people to begin in their own minds to hold them accountable for what they did. In verses 29 through 32, Peter says, but Peter and the, uh, it says, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. This is good advice. You should always take this advice. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as a leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey. Did you know that in Scripture, we are commanded to be obedient to governmental authority? That's what it says. Romans 13, 1 through 3, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. So for everyone who thinks that we shouldn't obey the government, well, just remember, I didn't write this. God did and you can say, well, obviously Peter doesn't have a problem with it. Well, Peter gives the same instructions. First Peter two thirteen through 17. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God, honoring everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. This is actually pretty intense because they're under Roman authority. They're under Roman oppression and slavery, but they're still telling them to honor the emperor because God is the one who, who puts people in authority. However, this truth is only insofar as we're only supposed to obey the government insofar as what is being requested is not in contradiction to God's word and would require a believer to sin. 
So when they're telling him, you need to stop it, this is the, it would require them to sin to be disobedient to God. It's the only case when you can be justified in not obeying the government. And even though some of us may not like to hear it, <laughs> that's what the Scripture says. So Peter rightly responds, listen, we already told you, we're going to obey God and not men. And then he begins to point out the truth of the situation. Listen, we're not bringing Jesus' blood on your heads because it was you guys are the ones who killed the one that God raised and crucified him on a tree. And they're not teaching in the name of some random nobody or someone whose pride brought them to ruin. Jesus was exalted at the right hand of God as leader and savior. That's what it says. This isn't some nobody, but this is uh, Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel, to give repentance to you guys. But you killed him. Instead of repenting, you guys took him, you shamed him, you tortured him, and then you hung him on a cross to die. And Peter says, we're witnesses to these things. This didn't happen in a vacuum. This didn't happen where nobody knows. This wasn't secret. We saw all these things happen, both their unjustified murder of Jesus, but also of his resurrection and being seated in power next to God. They were witnesses of all these things. This isn't secondhand. We're not making this stuff up. We saw it, so we're not out there spreading rumors. We're just speaking what really happened. And not only us, not only are we witnesses, but the Holy Spirit witnessed this as well. Oh, and by the way, the Holy Spirit is with all of us who obey him. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14 says, In him also, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Every believer receives the Holy Spirit, and he is God's assurance that we will receive all that the Father has promised. Amen? What a powerful rebuttal. They come in and they think, why weren't you listening to us? Well, let me tell you why I wasn't listening. And this doesn't do uh, any, any wonders for the, the religious leader's temperament. Acts 5, 33 through 38 says, And when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him, and he was killed. And all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas, the Galilean, rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him, and he too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone, for if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it'll fail. So it turns out the high priests and the, the Jewish council, they didn't really like having this pointed out to them, that actually they were bringing his name on his head. And it made them so angry that they immediately wanted to kill Peter and John. I mean, that makes sense. How dare they point out the truth, right? 
But a Pharisee in the council speaks up. Seems this is a wise and respected man whom everyone honored. An unexpected ally for the apostles of the early church, for sure. And he begins to give some excellent advice. You see, the truth is, is this council, they've gotten together and they would just as soon eliminate Peter and John and as quickly as they did with Jesus when they didn't like what he had to say. But Gamaliel, he reminds them of a couple other men who rose up in a similar situation, a similar way. And he says, listen, when these men rose up, Thaddeus and Judas, both were ultimately killed, and not by us, but by somebody else, <laughs> and ultimately killed. And uh, when this happened, the followers scattered. Maybe it was by them. I don't really know. It doesn't say. But either way, he was killed and they scattered. And if what the apostles were doing were just like that, right? Because Jesus rose up. He claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed to be the Son of Man that was, that was prophesied in Daniel. He claimed to be God. He claimed to be Messiah. He claimed to be King of the Jews. He rose up and claimed these things, and then he was killed. So, they, so this Gamaliel says, listen, if, uh, if, if, if he's just like these other people, then this movement will ultimately fail. He says, if what the apostles are doing are just because of this man that was killed, just like the previous two men, this following would fail and be scattered as well. So on one hand, it's, it's uh, I, you know, I don't know if he's actually seeing God in this or if he's thinking like maybe we do have blood on our hands and, and we don't want any more blood on our hands. I, I'm not exactly sure, but I, I'm inclined to believe that maybe he noticed God in this because in verses 39 through 40, he goes on. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them and you might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called on the, in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then let them go. Like I said, I, I think uh, Gamaliel noticed that his followers didn't scatter, or at least they didn't stay scattered, right? And they were scattered for a few days until Jesus rose again, and then everything changed, right? Another uh, huge piece of evidence pointing to the trustworthiness of what happened. How do a people become distraught, destroyed, completely scattered, thinking their leader had just died, and then a few days later, become so convinced of what they were preaching, right? They were scattered, dispersed. Now they're so convinced of what they're preaching that Jesus rose again that they'd give their lives for it. You see, people don't give their lives for things that they don't believe. So it's just one more piece of evidence that what happened really happened. So maybe he noticed that they didn't scatter. And if that's the case, then maybe God was in it. And he points out, listen, if God is in this, there's nothing you can do to stop it. God's going to make it happen one way or the other. You kill Peter and John, and more apostles will be risen up in his place. Because you're not, the, the, God is going to build his church, and there's nothing man can do to stop that. Amen. If God is in it, nothing you can do. And, and we've already seen God is in it between the message still propagating to the people, even though they th remember they threw him in jail the first time and it didn't do anything. The message just spread like wildfire, wildfire. They threw him in jail again, and this time God breaks him out so they can preach the message. 
and now the people love them. I mean, we already see that God's in it. So I think he, he probably realized this. And thank God, the rest of the council, they took his advice. But I imagine it wasn't because they thought God was in it. I think they thought, you know what, you're right. They're going to be taken care of all on their own. We don't even have to lift a finger. It's not an actual move of God, but if we just let them go, they're going to be dispersed just like all the other ones. They figured they could still get what they wanted without getting their hands dirty. They could still get what they wanted without facing an angry mob if they moved against them. So they did what uh, any self-respecting Jewish leader would do and called them back in, beat them, and uh, sent them out on their way. I, I find that interesting. <laughs> like, <laughs> He just told them, like, if God's in this, you don't want to stand in their way. And they're like, okay, we won't kill them, but we're still going to beat them. We're still going to leave a mark. And then they do. They, they beat him and send them on their way. Say, hey, you, you stop this. Don't do it anymore. So then when Peter and John left, verses 41 and 42, it says, Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ, that the Christ is Jesus. So when the disciples, they, they leave here, and we're going we're gonna to end on, on this, uh, these verses. But when they leave, we see something that we might not expect. You see, you would think that the disciples would kind of start complaining about what they just went through. Maybe they would begin to curse God a little bit for the torture that they're suffering, the beating that they're suffering. Maybe they would begin to doubt themselves. Like, man, if God is in this, why do all these bad things happen? Like, John, are, are, are you sure we're doing the right thing? Because obviously if we were following God, everything would be perfect and we wouldn't have any issues and it would, it would just be you know, a golden path laid before us. Or at least they would, maybe we'd see them cry out to God saying, I don't understand why we're being imprisoned or beaten. God, why are you letting this happen to us? And you're like, yeah, I mean, I can't believe they think that. But let, let, me, let me tell you what it sounds like when we do it. God, why is this happening to me? Why am I going through this situation or this situation? Or why am I dealing with this health issue? Aren't I going to church enough? Aren't I praying enough? Aren't I sharing the gospel enough? Why is this happening to me? But look how they handle it. They don't do any of that stuff. Instead, they rejoice. They rejoice that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. Listen here, I want you to know that every time something bad happens to you, it's not an indication that God is mad at you. It's not an indication that you are somehow failing. The disciples rejoiced for the opportunity to suffer for Jesus. They understood that it was a, a great honor to serve Jesus and share his gospel regardless of the cost. And they were not only willing to endure whatever came their way to do this, they were happy to endure it because it was worth it. And church, I pray that each and every one of us would take the same attitude. Amen.